following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. So today we're finishing this series on the book of Psalms. It's a very short series. There's 150 Psalms and we've only had four weeks. So we're always going to be a bit limited. But what I've, what I've wanted to do was just to give you a taste, just give you a little taste of the rich breadth and depth that there is in this book, uh, the diversity that there is in the Psalms. So we've looked at a Psalm of praise. Uh, we've looked at a Psalm of lament, gone from the heights to the depths. Uh, last week, we looked at a royal Psalm. And today, we are going to look at a psalm that's known as a temple psalm. Psalm 84 is where we're going to be this morning. And this is part of a a group of psalms that are often referred to as temple psalms. And they revolve around the Jewish temple. They're all about the temple, uh, talking about the significance that that place had and in some ways still has for the Jewish people and for us today. So Psalm 84, let me read this to you. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Back in 2014, it was, there was a group of us from shore that went on a trip to Israel. So we had uh, 10 days in Israel and uh, focusing on sites that were connected to the, uh, the life of Jesus. I'm hoping, by the way, one day we can get back there. I'm hoping one of these years we might be able to take another group back to Israel. Uh, watch this space. We'll see. Uh, But we spent of that trip maybe a few days around Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, such a complex city uh, and so much to see. But at the heart of it, at the heart of the old city of Jerusalem is this place called the Temple Mount. And it is basically today a massive, big, elevated stone structure, just a big flat slab elevated high above the city. You can see it from everywhere around. And this was the place where the temple in the Old Testament used to stand. It's not there anymore. That's the place where it it once stood. And you can just see 
how prominent that would have been. It, it's so visible. It's so dominant in the city of Jerusalem. And it just even more so thousands of years ago would have just stood out with such incredible visibility and grandeur in that city. This was the temple that Solomon built. This was the temple that's talked about in this psalm. Even though the word temple is not in this psalm, there's all this temple language there. When it talks about the courts of the Lord, when it talks about the house of God, when it talks about being with the living God, all of that is around the temple because the temple was the place that you went to be with God. The temple was the place you went to worship God. The temple was the place that you went to meet with God's people to worship God. The temple was very much the center of Israel's life. There was just nothing more important. It was, it was believed to be the dwelling place of God's presence on earth because of the way God filled the temple after Solomon built it. So this was the location of where God lived. This was God's house. He was in the Holy of Holies. That was his place. And so to come to the temple was to come into the very presence of God. In fact, the Jewish people believed that in a sense, the temple was like the intersection of heaven and earth. It was like the place where heaven and earth met. So to step into the temple courts was in a very real sense to be transported into the heavenly realms. The temple was the center of Jewish life and identity and faith and worship. It was utterly important to the Jewish people. Three times a year, there were these festivals that happened in the temple and around Jerusalem. And people from all over Israel would come to Jerusalem for that week. And they'd make the trip, they'd make the pilgrimage, they'd spend a week in Jerusalem. There's all the celebrations and the songs and a lot of sacrifices. And then eventually they'd go home again. Now, this psalm is written from the perspective of one of those pilgrims. So it's like a pilgrim journey. And you can imagine, maybe you sort of put yourself in the picture, imagine like a father with, with his sons. It was usually fathers and sons that did this. And they would make this pilgrimage from their, their little hometown, maybe days and days and days on the road. And they'd, they'd walk it usually by foot, make this pilgrimage through arduous territory with their hearts set on the temple. They're heading to Jerusalem. Their face is set to Jerusalem and they're heading to the temple for the great, whatever it was, Passover festival or the day of atonement. And they would be on this pilgrimage. And this psalm comes out of that. And it's like written from the perspective of a pilgrim on the journey. And as you listen to the language, you can kind of imagine them walking along the road and just longing for what's, what's coming next. So just look at some of the words. Verse one, how lovely is your dwelling place. Lord Almighty, the dwelling place of God is the temple. That's what they're talking about. How lovely. They're just picturing how beautiful the temple is. I can't wait to get there. Verse 2, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. You hear the longing? He's just, oh, I just can't wait. I'm just longing to get to the temple. I can't wait to get my first glimpse over the horizon of that beautiful temple in Jerusalem. My soul is just longing to be there. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. This is where God lives. The temple is God's house. I'm going to go meet with God. And then down to verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. He's probably thinking about the Levites who work there. He's like, how lucky are they? They get to be there every day, day in and day out. They're always praising God. Man, that's an amazing gift and privilege. And then verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. You can kind of imagine this guy maybe getting a bit tired 
and he's getting weary, but then he just remembers his destination. He remembers he's heading for the temple, and God strengthens his heart and helps him to keep on going because his heart is set on pilgrimage. Can you hear the sense of expectation in this psalm? That's what I'm trying to build for you, that sense of excitement about the journey and the destination, that sense of privilege that it is to be able to stand in the temple courts. And that's all that he wants. Now, if you go to the temple today, there is one of the walls around the temple or connected to the temple is called the Wailing Wall. You might have heard of this. And uh, I remember the first, I've, I've had two trips to Israel now. And on the very first trip, we were heading down to the Wailing Wall. And as we walked down there, uh, there was an Israeli security guard who stopped us. And he said, are you Jewish? And we said, no. And he said, well, you can keep smiling then. And, you know, the implication is if you are Jewish and you come to the Wailing Wall, you're not there to smile. You're not there to laugh. It's okay for tourists, but if you are Jewish to go, this is a place of sorrow. This is a place, that's why it's called the Wailing Wall. It's a place of lamenting, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Because Jewish people come to that particular place to lament and grieve the fact that the temple is no longer there. That this beloved temple is, is not there. In fact, what is there now is the Dome of the Rock, which is an Islamic holy site. So the Jewish people, this is a place of sorrow for them. It's a place of loss. Because what happened 2,000 years ago is that the Romans came into town, AD 70, and they destroyed the temple. Like they just leveled it. This incredible structure, they, they did not leave one stone upon another. They brought it to the ground. In fact, you can walk around the outside of the temple walls and you can still see the stones that the Romans threw down off the, off the top of the temple mount onto the ground below as they destroyed the temple. So for the Jewish people, this is such a loss for them now that they don't have the temple anymore and they grieve and they long for the day when maybe it will be rebuilt. But here is where... As Christians, we have a different perspective on this because we see the story differently. And we recognize that even though the physical temple is no longer standing, we know that it has been replaced now by a new and living temple. When Jesus walked on this earth, he said, you destroy this temple, I'll re rebuild it again in three days. And what was he talking about? Himself, his own body. So Jesus is now going around describing himself as the temple. You can see why he got himself in so much trouble. You're sort of saying you are, you are the equivalent of this incredible structure, but it makes so much sense for those of us who believe that Jesus is the Savior and Lord because in the Old Testament, the temple was the place of God's presence. And now here is Jesus and he is the place of God's presence. He is the one who carries the presence of God with him now. The presence of God's not restricted to a building anymore. Now it's a person. In him, the fullness of deity dwells, is what Colossians tells us. Jesus, so as he's walking around, he's like a living temple. He's, he's an eating, sleeping, walking, talking temple. Now, the presence of God is moving around, not restricted to one place. That, by the way, I think is why so much of Jesus' ministry happened outside the temple. Because he's emphasizing the point. The temple, the physical temple, that's no longer where the action is. Now the action's here. Wherever Jesus goes, that's where the temple is. That's where the presence of God resides. Now, so the Old Testament temple is then replaced by Jesus. But now there's another step. Okay, stay with me on this. This is the most exciting step, I think. 
Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 for just a minute. Keep your finger in Psalm 84. Use another finger to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And here's verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Did you hear that? Why are you not more excited about that? Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple? Now, we need to understand what what Paul is saying here. We're a little bit limited when we read this verse by the English language. Because in English, the word you can either mean you as an individual or it can mean you. The group. We don't have two different words for you singular and you plural. We just say you. So typically what we do, because we're such individualists, is we read Paul and we think that he is saying you individually are a temple and you individually are a temple and you individually are a temple. That's not what Paul's saying. He's using the plural. That's plural you. What Paul is saying is, You together now, as the church, are the temple. What do you think of that? You as a group, you as a community. When Anna and I lived in the U.S. um, for a couple of years, we lived in Ohio. And do you know, the Americans do have a word. They do have a word that means you as a group. Do you know what it is? Y'all. Y'all, yeah, so they, they, they've figured out a way to distinguish between you and y'all. In fact, if it's a really big group, you can say all y'all, which is crazy. So I think, this might be pushing it, but if Paul was living in Ohio, I think he would have written, y'all are God's temple. Y'all are. Because what he's saying is you as a community, not just individuals, but together. Are the temple. And that is reinforced by what he says next in verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Great translation by the NIV there. You together are God's temple. That's the point. So you follow the story. The Old Testament temple, that's the physical place where God resides. Now, then that's replaced by Jesus, who is the one man temple, the fullness of God dwelling in him. And now we belong to Jesus. And so by extension now, we are all the temple. Jesus is the cornerstone of this new temple. We are all living stones. It's what First Peter tells us. Living stones, all our brothers and sisters, not just Shaw Community Church, big, big C church, Brothers and sisters throughout the world, the global church, all fitted together as living stones to become this living, holy temple, rising up to become the temple of God. The church is the new temple. That's who we are. The church now represents everything that the Old Testament temple represented. The church is now the place where the presence of God dwells. On earth. Now, I know God's presence is everywhere. God's always present, uh, omnipresent. But in a particular sense, 
The church is the locus of God's presence on planet earth. That's why Paul says, don't you know that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Again, what's he saying? He's he's not saying, well, God's spirit dwells in your heart and God's spirit dwells in your heart and God's spirit dwells in your heart. No, he's saying God's spirit dwells in you together. This is a shift for us because we're so used to thinking, I have the spirit, you have the spirit, you have the spirit. Now that's true. We do possess the spirit individually, but in the New Testament, the spirit is given to the church. This is so important. The spirit is poured out upon the church and we receive the spirit together. So we all walk in here and we're all carrying the Holy Spirit. But as we come together in a special way, the manifest presence of God is here by his spirit. In a special and powerful way. None of us fully understand and none of us fully see it. But just as Solomon's temple, when it was dedicated, was filled with the Shekinah glory of God. In the same way, the church now, just picture this, is the temple. And the beautiful, brilliant glory of God, the Spirit, fills the church. We are the temple. As we gather now, we are filled with the Spirit. And the glory of God, just the same way the Old Testament temple was filled with the presence of God. Could even go as far as saying the church now is that intersection between heaven and earth. To come into the church is, in a sense, to be transported into this heavenly realm, into the holy of holies. We are the temple. Now that should give you a higher theology of the church, shouldn't it? That should lift your eyes a little bit to see what the church is like. The church is not just a social club. The church is not just a bunch of people who do good work in the community. The church is not just a bunch of people who come and listen to songs and a sermon and sing songs and have communion on a Sunday. The church is the living temple of God on planet earth. That's who we are. So now we can come back to Psalm 84 and we can read that in view of this temple theology that we've put in place. That's why I wanted to bring you along that story. Now you come back to the psalm. And everything that's said here about the temple, we now know is true of the church. Okay, so read it that way. Have a second read of it now and see what you think. Verse 2, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. Is that what you were saying on the way to church this morning? I bet it was. Because that's the, that's the reality, right? So these Old Testament men and women, they made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Where's our pilgrimage today? to Albany Junior High School. Well, we don't have to go to Jerusalem anymore. We can save ourselves the airfares. We come here. Not that this room is a temple. I'm not saying the school is a temple. Get, get away from thinking the building. But it's the people. It's the community of God. So our pilgrimage is now to the church. Our pilgrimage is now to the community. Our pilgrimage is now to the gathering of God's people. And these Israelites, you know, they longed for it. Their heart was pulled towards it. And I think it's worth reflecting, you know, how much do we have that longing today towards the new and living temple? We love Jesus. Do we love the church, though? Do we love this temple? These living stones that you're all sitting next to, how do we feel about them? You know, do we long, do we have that same sense of pilgrimage, that same sense of longing for the community of God's people? I think sometimes we get up on Sunday morning and it's more like, well, can I be bothered? What's the weather doing today? Oh, it's, the weather's pretty bad. I can't really be bothered going along. Oh, the weather's really good. I need to get to the garden. You know, we're just very, we can have a very casual relationship 
with the church. And I wonder if we could recapture that vision of the temple, see ourselves as the temple of God. Maybe our hearts would be a little bit more pulled. Maybe our longing would be a little bit more to gather with the people of God and worship him in the courts and the house of God. And maybe when we're here, maybe right now, if we could picture this as the temple of God, maybe that would transform these gatherings. You know, rather than just kind of sometimes being a bit blasé about things, like, oh, you know, how long is this going to go on for? How long is the sermon going to finish? And like our lunch plans? And, you know, maybe if we could think about the church as the living temple of the living God, we might get a little bit more excited about being here. We might, our hearts might just be captured a little bit more with the blessing that it is to be with these living stones in the house of God. I mean, this is a privilege. Old Testament men, women, families, for generations, their minds would have been blown by what we get to do here. They could never have believed that we would get to come into the Holy of Holies like this. And that's where we are, in the unrestricted presence of God, side by side with each other and worship God without need of any priestly mediator except Jesus. They would not have been able to wrap their heads around that. And yet so often we can take it for granted, can't we? So often we can just be so ho-hum about it. But if we could see the church, the temple, maybe our experience would be changed. Annie Dillard, one of her books, writes this, It is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers, should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. For the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. What she's saying is that we just think church is so ordinary, because that's what we see. But when we could see in our mind's eye and heart what is really going on here, the temple of the living God, filled with the glory of God, maybe our eyes would be lifted up to love the community of God's people, to love worshiping with the people of God, and to love these times a little more where we can come together and be the church, the temple of God. All right, now, let me show you something else from this passage about the significance of the temple. In verse 6, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. The Valley of Baca. Nobody knows exactly where that place is. Archaeologists have searched for it, and to date, nobody's ever discovered a location called the Valley of Baca. It just doesn't seem to exist. But what commentators believe is that the psalmist is not talking about a geographic, physical place. The word Baca means tears. The Valley of Tears. So it's not describing a place, it's describing an experience. This is an experience of sorrow. It's an experience of trouble and struggle and stress and frustration and heartache in life, which we've all gone through. And some of you are going through the Valley of Baca now. You lost a loved one, health troubles, relationship difficulties, financial struggles. You're about to refix your mortgage. That's going to be the Valley of Tears. And we're going through it. You know, you're about to go through the Valley of Baca. Some of us have gone through the Valley of Baca. Others of you are right in the middle of it. We, this is the struggle of the human life. And the picture in this psalm is this. As, the, as this pilgrim is going through the Valley of Baca, it's on the way to the temple. And they've got their hearts set on the temple. And because the temple is there, it's in their heart. As they go through this 
place of kind of barrenness, it becomes a place of springs. It's like an oasis in the desert. And the autumn rains fall, like that rain that was falling just a little while ago while we were singing. The autumn rains fall. A little bit of refreshing on the dry and cracked ground. So the picture is this. As we go through times in life where we struggle and where we experience real pain, that, those are the times we need to lean into the community of the church. That's part of the role of the temple. The temple is not just the times where we come together and we worship. The temple is there for those times that we struggle and we suffer. And when you pass through the Valley of Baca, there is nothing more important than leaning on the strength and the love and the support of other brothers and sisters that are there for you in the church. That's what the temple is about. Amen. This last Thursday was the first anniversary of Andy Spears' death. This time last year that he passed away. And many of you know Andy and you know Colin and Lynn and you followed that journey and his cancer journey over the couple of years before he passed away. And, but Andy was a guy that to me really leaned into the community that was around him, especially when he came back to New Zealand in that season of his life. He had good friends around him and he had a church community around him too. He had you. And we prayed for him here. I know many of you prayed for him and he was in the worship team. He had that little community too. And you know because you remember some of you watching online as he would make that journey from his bedroom to his music recording studio to play the guitar or bass guitar tracks on those worship songs, even though that was an arduous journey. That was like a pilgrimage for him, <laughs> but it was like his temple, you know, and that was, that was his worship and that was his community and he had a place and he had people who loved him right to the very end and he drew that in. He drew on that support. And Colin and Lynn, in their own ways, they had people, people in this church who loved them and walked with them and walk with them still through the Valley of Baca that they've gone through. And that hopefully has made the Valley of Tears for them a place of springs where there's a little bit of an oasis in the desert and there's a little bit of cool water in the dry, arid ground because of the love and encouragement they've had from people in our church family. You know, we all need this. And I want to say, if you're going through that right now, if you're going through struggle and difficulty, do not struggle alone. Don't suffer alone. Don't be an island, but lean into the people that are around you. You need brothers and sisters around you during those times to love you and encourage you, if nothing else, to pray for you. Just to know that there's one or two people there carrying you in their hearts and praying for you. There's strength in that. There's tremendous power in that. And if you're not going through the Valley of Baca, if things are good and you're reasonably even keeled, develop those friendships now. Form those relationships now because you're going to need them. It's much harder to try and find people when you don't already have them when things hit the wall. Form those friendships and those relationships now so that when the bullets start flying, you can draw them close and you've got people to walk with you. This is the church. This is the church being the church. When each of us go through the Valley of Baca and each of us will, it's the love and the support of one another that is going to make that experience a place of springs rather than a place of just dry and cracked and dusty ground. Okay, one final thing from this psalm, and then we close. In verse 10, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. This is uh, anyone here from the welcoming team this morning? This is your verse. The doorkeepers in the house of God. You're in the Bible. Yeah, this is like 
Even, even some of the seemingly menial jobs in the church are incredibly important when you start to see this as the temple. And then the psalmist says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. The tents of the wicked is, he's now picturing the journey home. So he's now picturing what's it going to be like after the temple and after the festival. He's heading back home and he pictures that place like the tents of the wicked. He's going from the temple back out to the tents. And that's a bit like our journey. You know, we gather here and we worship together, but you're going to spend most of your life away from here, aren't you? You're going to spend most of your life back out there in the tents. And maybe it is the tents of the wicked. Not that everyone that you mix with is wicked, but the reality is we spend a lot of our life, a lot of our week, interacting with and relating to people that don't share our faith. A lot of the people that you're mixing with, friends and family and neighbors and co-workers, they don't share our faith. And it is so easy for us to be drawn aside and to be shaped and molded by the values and the priorities of the world. And this, again, is the role of the temple. The place of the temple here, the church, is to prepare us for back out there in the tents, for when we go back out there. So you come here on Sunday morning and you bring everything that's been going on in the week and you bring all the ways that maybe you've been worn down by life, all the things that have just been eroding your heart, maybe all the ways that you've just been distracted and pulled aside by things and we come here on a Sunday morning and we come back to the cross and we come back and recenter ourselves in the presence of God and remind ourselves whose we are, remind ourselves of our identity in Christ and allow God to refresh us and send us back out. Sometimes you come in here and you realize how far you are from God. Some of you realize that this morning. You're here and you just realize there's this big chasm that's opened up. You've just spent the whole week just drifting, 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 drifting. You get to church and you realize, man, I just, I'm, I'm nowhere with God. We're so far from Him. And this is a time and a place to come back to the cross, come back to the living God. And we allow him to forgive us. We allow him to restore us. We allow him to pour his mercy over our lives again and say, my hand is upon you. You are mine. I haven't gone anywhere. He is faithful, even when you're not faithful. And he's been waiting for you all week and he's right here. And he restores you and renews you and he sends you out again, full of his spirit to face the week ahead. That's the purpose, part of the purpose of these times is to equip us, strengthen our heart again, bring us back to our center, bring us back to reality. You know, sometimes we talk about like we're going to go back out to real life. You know, real life's waiting for us. I think real life is here. I think this is as real as it gets in the presence of the living God. It's God who defines reality. Everything else is a distortion. So we come back and we allow God to define our reality again. And then we go out with that spinning in our minds and God's presence in our heart to face the tents. And it's not just these gatherings. That might be a life group that you're part of. You gather with a few other people. And in the middle of a week where things are turbulent and hard, that's like a little oasis for you. And a little place where you can get some encouragement and be strengthened again to face what's coming. Or even you might just meet with one other person or two other people. Even if it's just a couple of people, brothers and sisters who share your faith, that's the temple. That's why Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, what did he say? There I am. There I am. Why? Because that's the temple. Every time God's people gather in God's name, doesn't mean doesn't matter if it's two of them or 2,000, there is the presence of Jesus by his spirit. You gather with just one other person, another brother, another sister, who encourages you, maybe lets you know they're praying for you, 
Maybe there's some accountability there to help you with some things you're struggling with in your life. That's the temple. And it helps you live back out there in the tents. It helps you prevent the world from squeezing you and shaping you into its mold. The world will disciple you every day if you let it. We're all being shaped every day, aren't we? We're all being formed in one direction or another. We're all being discipled. You've just got to decide. You're going to be discipled by the world or you're going to be discipled by Jesus. And it's your brothers and sisters in faith that are going to help you stay the course so that you may, as the psalmist says, walk faithfully and blamelessly before the Lord. So build those connections. Being here is a great start, but build those connections with one another. Find your way into community. Cultivate those relationships. Meet regularly. The strength and the nourishment you get from those relationships is good for you, and it's good for the church, and it's good for your walk back in the world. So I hope that out of this psalm, you can maybe leave here today with a slightly bigger vision of the church. How would that be? It's a slightly bigger vision of what is going on here during these times, like beyond what we see and beyond what we might feel emotionally. We're not talking about chasing emotions. We're not talking about coming to a show. I hope you don't come to be entertained. But we're talking about getting a spiritual vision of what the church is. And I pray that you might go out of here today lifting up your eyes a little bit more to be able to say, man, the church is the temple of the living God. And to recognize this is the place where the Spirit of God dwells among his people. And out of that, I pray that you would learn to love the church a little more, that you'd learn to draw on the strength that's there in your brothers and sisters for the times that are difficult. And you would allow this community to help to form and shape you to face life back out there in the world. We're called to love the church with all of its brokenness. And I know it's broken. And I know the church has many, many flaws, many, many failures, many wounds and scars. And the church is so far from perfect. But she's still the church, isn't she? She's still the church for whom Jesus died. She's still the bride of Christ. She's still the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. God loves this church. And if God loves the church, we ought to love the things that God loves. And that means loving his church, the temple of God and setting our hearts on pilgrimage towards that temple, towards God's holy church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you today for your church. And we thank you for the way that this image of the temple just helps us to understand the true nature of this community and every community, every church. God, we pray that you'd give us a bigger vision for your people, for your church. Lord, help us to love your church. Help us to find our place, the place where we belong in this community. And Lord, I pray for those that are struggling to find their place. I pray for those who have been burned by the church in all kinds of different ways. And those who struggle to know where they are in this community or, or any other community. I pray for those that are maybe just dipping a toe in the water with the church and trying to figure out what it's all about. Lord Jesus, I pray that more, more than anything, that they would, they would come to encounter you as the living God who fills your people by your spirit. And I pray you, God, would teach us of the true nature and beauty 
of your church, your community, your temple, your people. Um, We just take this moment to say thank you for one another and for this journey that we're on. We thank you for the love that we have and the love we share and the many burdens that have been carried over the years and that continue to be carried. Help us to truly be a family, to be what the temple was supposed to be, Lord God, to love and support each other along life's journey. So God, we look to you. We thank you. This is all part of your plan. Lord, teach us to love your church and find the place where we belong. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.